0: What's the movie? Um, it's supposed to be scary, but we've seen scary movies before. Remember the
1: wicked witch? Look this should be a piece of cake. From the further regions of the internet YouTubers to some, podcasters to others Welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night We have such sights to show you I am your host this evening, Tim M. Sullivan And with me I have...
2: Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman And I'm the chatterer, if you couldn't tell uh, No, I'm, I'm Eddie Munson, <laughs> just kidding, I'm Joseph Brennick. And uh, with us we have a special guest today Hey-o, I am the female Cinobite.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's, vagi- it's Vagina Neck.
1: Uh, I'm Axel. Today we are talking about the 1987 Clive Barker classic Hellraiser. And to kind of get us started off, I'll give just like a little bit of background. So this was based on Clive Barker's novella, The Hellbound Heart. He originally was just going to be an author and he didn't really have any interest in directing films, but he was disappointed by the first two film adaptations of his works which were Underworld and Rawhead Rex. So he decided uh, fuck it, I'll do it myself. So he decided to direct his own adaptation of Hellraiser. He pulled
2: a Stephen King. This is his maximum overdrive.
1: If you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. And uh, this was originally intended to be straight to video and it was made for under a million dollars, which in some cases is wild, but then like There are some sequences like um, that last transition with the puzzle box. Like, yeah, that looks like straight to video. Not gonna lie, but it was extremely successful. It spawned a gigantic franchise with a couple good movies. Yeah, so that's, I guess, my main kind of introduction so we're going to start with our first question which is uh, what is your history with Hellraiser Uh, this movie the franchise at large just whatever you kind of want to go into and we'll start with Austin
3: I'd gotten my start with horror movies watching John Carpenter's The Thing and the first two Saw movies around when I was 10. Uh, Horror to me at this point was painted as a fun little race to the bottom to see who could emulate the most depraved kind of snuff film. Uh, It was all about gore, baby. But I had yet to unlock avenues with access to lots of movies. I was at the time totally limited by this service little known service called Charter On Demand. Uh, We had a complimentary Showtime subscription through some technicality involving our internet package, I think. Anyone who knows anything about American premium channels can tell you Showtime isn't usually broadcasting classic important movies. (laughs) Like you could look up the channel guide and see the the original Nightmare on Elm Street or uh, The Exorcist on HBO. While you were down stuck with stuff like Evil Breed, The Legend of Sam Hain or Blood Rain. The Hellraiser movie that they had on tap was Hellraiser Inferno, the Scott <laughs> Derrickson directed dvd one. And even though I can't recall the basic plot of Inferno, save for that scene of the blood coming out from under the door, the movie did immediately make me fall in love with Pinhead. I was content for a while just watching gore compilations on YouTube, then one day in college I realized I hadn't taken the time to see any of the good Hellraiser movies, uh, I'd gotten distracted somewhere along the way watching dumb bullshit like Human Centipede 2 in a Serbian film, so I sat down and proceeded to have an absolute blast, specifically with the original. More on that soon, though. Back to you, Tim. The box.
2: You opened it. We came. It's just a puzzle
1: Hell yeah. Alright, Joe. History with Hellraiser.
2: Oh man, I'm gonna look like the biggest asshole here. So, <laughs> for the longest time, I was not the biggest Hellraiser fan. What? I don't remember my rationale behind it, but for some fucking reason, when I was much much younger, I would always say it's like, "Oh, Hellraiser's the one that's like trying way too fucking hard to be edgy. It's gore for the sake of being gory." Blah blah blah. I I, I don't know exactly what started that because at the same time i'm also the guy who in high school watched cannibal holocaust make of that what you will and also i was just like completely and utterly confused by the fascination specifically around pinhead. Who you call him Pinhead? Because it's just like I I took one look at the guy and was just like, oh come on, this guy's not that scary. It's just a guy with a bunch of push pins in his head. Freddie all the way, baby. Jason all the way. Austin just like,
1: look at how you massacred my boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I I I hurt poor Austin. However, a significant shift happened recently and it all started with night terrors last year that just started up out of nowhere I would have these night terrors of just, like, otherworldly figures just coming and tormenting me in my dreams. And, like, these were, like, reoccurring things and, like, things that I would discuss in therapy. And my therapist was like, okay, other than medication, we're going to try and figure some shit out. How about you try revisiting some horror movies? Maybe that'll help. And I immediately put Hellraiser on my list because some of the imagery reminded me of Hellraiser. And I was like, okay, if I just confront this... Ahead on maybe it'll help and who knows maybe i'll find a new appreciation in it did i we'll find out
1: ah everybody's leaving me on cliffhangers today doors to the pleasures of heaven or hell i didn't care which all right uh axel history with hellraiser oh boy what a
0: history so <laughs> growing up i didn't get to watch a lot of horror movies the big ones were definitely like uh I don't know what this one movie is, but it had to do with an ice cream truck that had like a waffle maker and smushed someone's head into it. I don't know what this movie's called, but it terrified me as a kid. The Ice Cream Man with Clinton Howard? You know, I would watch like the Jason films and the Freddy Cougar films, and I didn't get to do a lot of horror. And my friend thought it was really weird in 2018 when he asked me if I ever watched Hellraiser or Scream, and I was like, no, I actually never watched those as much as I like horror. (laughs) So, uh, he's like, oh, we're Watching Hellraiser, this one's gonna be for you. And I, I told him, I go. I saw Hellraiser in like 2011, but it was Hellraiser. What do you call this film? Revelations with uh, great value, Pinhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it was the worst film I ever watched and the funniest thing is my one friend Ryan and I we would go to to family video or Hollywood video and we would just rent bad horror movies all the time we're watching like the Hills Have Eyes remake and uh, the crazies and we just like we should watch Hellraiser since it came out at the time we didn't even finish the movie it was so bad it was laughable and um I'm happy I revisited the franchise in 2018 and got to see the first movie because I absolutely fell in love with the first movie and then the second and the third and then I stopped at the third. I was like, I'm not going to go past this. It's probably not canon. You know, I like I like to see the canon stuff and then I went down the rabbit hole and I started buying the merchandise because I got into the merchandise at a good time. Got the NECA pinhead.
3: Ooh. Ooh. There he is.
0: I just dropped his Lament Configuration.
3: Oh, that's a, tiny, that's a tiny puzzle box.
0: I only have one Chatter Funko Pop, and this was a Walmart exclusive. Jeez,
2: nice.
0: nice. I got lucky because uh, Hot Topic ended up bringing back their Glow in the Dark pinheads that was exclusive. And then I went to Disc Replay, which is a store in Michigan uh, that had the original Common one, which is not common anymore. And then I ended up buying the, uh, the box set from Arrow Video that came with the three films. And it's going to be kind of hard to grab it unless you want me to, but I also got the of female uh, pinhead. But yeah, that's my history with it. I fell in love with the first movie and just didn't want to stop. Nice.
1: Yeah, so my history with Hellraiser is sort of in the middle of all you guys. Like uh, I think I mentioned on the show, like I kind of started getting into horror in high school when I was like 15, 16. And Hellraiser, I think I watched the first one for the first time like a year after I had started college. Um, Like it might have been during my year off between like my very first year at UCM and before I started going to community college. But uh, I watched it uh, at this time where I was just sort of in this sort of like purgatory of my life where I'm like figuring out that I didn't want to do what I thought I wanted to do. And I'm not sure what I want to do yet. And so I watched this movie and I was just kind of like, yeah, it was all right. And then I didn't really come back to it for a while. And then I think in 2019, uh, whenever... Aaron Abishon was doing the Grave Tales class at Webster. I watched the first Hellraiser again, and I think I had a little more of an appreciation for it. I was kind of like, yeah, this has some really interesting, like, characters and lore. I'm not sure if I'm quite into it yet. And then I watched Hellbound, which I think is just a much more interesting exploration of the ideas that they introduce in the first Hellraiser. So then I was able to, like, appreciate it even more upon further viewings and yeah i think that that's really where it's strongest is it's it has these like really rich characters like it has the cenobites are just such an interesting concept i think to me and like on the channel the last three movies that i've uh, hosted podcasts or vidcasts on are house perfect blue bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell all japanese horror and uh this movie interestingly is an american movie that's gone on to inspire a fair bit of Japanese media, specifically two of my favorite anime manga series, Berserk and Yu-Gi-Oh. If you've watched Berserk, it's very clear the influence of the Cenobites on the god hand and then like there's a bunch of things in Yu-Gi-Oh like the Millennium Puzzle is influenced by the Lament Configuration they really leaned into that like way more with Dark Side of Dimensions the, the fucking Quantum Cube that's just the Lament Configuration but uh, yeah like me and Axel actually made a little video essay a couple of years ago kind of going into a little more specifics on Hellraiser's influence on Yu-Gi-Oh! So we can put the link in the video. But it's just kind of interesting how it's had this kind of footprint on pop culture, and it's been, like, just such an influential horror title. So let's just move on to our next question. Uh, What what are your thoughts on the movie? We'll start with
2: Joe. Alright, so... The, the question I raised is, ha, has there been a shift? And I'm gonna just flat out say it, Yes, there's been a shift I, I, I finally I finally get this movie. I understand why people are finding this scary. However, it doesn't come without its flaws. I do think that certain story elements just kind of just fall a little bit too flat. And also, I'm going to go back to my thing about Pinhead.
1: All right, Pinhead,
2: your time is up. I'm going to break poor Austin's heart. <laughs> I like Pinhead. However, at least for this movie, I think he's played a little too over the top to be truly scary to me. No offense to Doug Bradley, but I just don't think the performance he gives just works specifically for this movie. I hear that the sequels get a little bit more over the top, so it's probably perfect there. But But here, I feel like it's just a bit much. But my God, um, the the one thing that I really want to talk about is just that scene with the Cenobites and just how perfectly fucking executed it is. You hear about them just throughout the movie. You don't see much. You know very little about them, but you just know whatever the fuck they do is horrifically fucked up. I mean, look at Mr. Muscles throughout the entire fucking movie. I, I forgot the character's name already. Frank. Yeah, Frank. That's right. God, what a generic name. Uh, Frank I call him Uncle Frank brother Frank come to daddy but yeah look look at Frank the entire time like you know that these guys are into some seriously fucked up shit and they can do some really fucked up shit and then when (laughs) they first appear to take Christy away you just take one look at those guys and you're just like... You take a look at the Chatterer, for instance, and you just look at how like horribly like, fucked up his face is. There's like, hooks in his teeth. You see fucking uh, Harvey Weinstein licking his lips. And uh, <laughs> fucking Vagina Neck shows up. Uh, and you're just like, clearly these guys do not care whatever the fuck they do to their own body. What the fuck are they going to do to Christy? What little they don't fucking describe is like very impactful and then what they do show especially at that end the the whole jesus wept thing you're just like yeah this the the, it's fucked up overall i wish i had just some more things to say about it it's a very solid first film in a series and i mean if you ask anybody it probably should have ended at one or two but that's also with like most of these goddamn like big 80s horror franchises should have just ended at one or two though it's not the worst example i think my Michael Myers should have ended after one. But Hmm. yeah, overall, solid movie. I wish I had more to say at the moment. I'll probably have more in general discussion. So back to you, Tim.
1: Fair enough. Uh, I I do want to bring up something. Like you mentioned, uh, Doug Bradley's performance as um, Pinhead. What's kind of funny is apparently he was offered either the role of the Cenobite priest or one of the movers at the beginning of the
2: movie. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and like, he was contemplating being one of the movers because then he's like, uh, then you'll be able to see my face. But he went with the role that kept on giving. So yeah, Austin, uh, thoughts on Hellraiser? Uh, I said earlier that a big part of horror
3: films for me is how transgressive they get. There's something exciting about watching people push back against the boundary of what Margaret Thatcher thought was acceptable to show in film. Uh, Hellraiser has some transgressive content that was a huge deal for the time that it was made, as well as elements that are still intense by today's standards. Historically, it's a huge deal that Clive Barker put hardcore BDSM imagery into a movie in 1987. The decade of, like, AIDS bigotry and the satanic panic. (laughs) And I, I think the prominence of flaying and having a character who just hangs out without his skin is still pretty extreme by today's standards. As you could gauge by the sort of, like, reputation a film like Martyrs has for the exact same gimmick. Not to mention, some of the movie's connective tissue is sexual obsession, which is a far cry from other franchises where, like, you know, teenagers casually bone and then immediately get killed for disappointing Nancy Reagan. This movie's partially about a woman who found the only good dick in a hundred mile radius, and he fucks so good that she wants to do anything to get him back. I just love that. But a huge reason I, I really love this movie is actually because there are these somewhat wholesome characters that provide contrast to Frank and Julia. Like, Kirsty's this very likable person. Her father, Larry, didn't do anything to deserve being worn as a skin suit. So it actually feels horrific when they're stuck in the same house as with these like murderers and demons. But speaking of demons, I know Chatterer and Butterball are just presented as like monsters, but Pinhead's kinda like the band leader, right? And he's got a little bit of complexity to him beyond just being a torture demon. He's got pride, and he seems to change his attack strategy based on the intentions of the person opening the box. It feels kind of English, you know? He's a very sophisticated torture demon who gets a chance in the story to even cathartically take out the big bad guy. We want the man who did this. It's all these things that make Hellraiser feel like a classic movie that's still dangerous and fucked up. It meets certain story requirements, like a crowd pleaser, and then sometimes runs in the exact opposite direction like it's trying to make you shit your pants. It looks absolutely immaculate for being a $900,000 production made by the Roger Corman people, and it holds a special place in my hellbound heart.
1: Hell yeah. I also want to like a, go off of something you said, like the she, she wanted to get that good dick back. So apparently, like when Clive Barker was first pitching the movie, he wanted it to be called Hellbound or the Hellbound Heart after the novel, or the novella, and um, they were like, no, that sounds too much like a romance story. So they they decided to go ahead and, like, do a poll amongst the crew of what they thought the movie should be called, and uh, one of the people on the crew, this woman in her 60s, said that uh, the movie should be called What a Woman Will Do for a Good Fuck. Ah. Uh,
2: <laughs> which,
1: re- really, that's that's what the movie's about. That's, that's what it's all about. <laughs>
0: I'll have what she's having.
1: But uh, (laughs) Axel, thoughts on Hellraiser?
0: oh boy um, yeah my friend was like you really like leather you should check this out <laughs> so I was I was like okay I really did like the scene where Frank is coming back from under the floorboards and um, I don't know I just really liked all the Cenobite designs and uh, it was really cool to see that the villain of the film was this fucked up uncle <laughs> and the Cenobites are just explorers you summon them you know then they came a lot of people think that they, they were the the bad guys they were just exploring you know when you open the box you're consenting to whatever the fuck they want to do you know i thought that was a pretty cool concept for the film good takes
1: all around my thoughts on the movie movie good uh, oh, yeah there, there we go oh. uh, Movie for some, movie not for all. (laughs) I mean, really, you're right. I do think that this is like one of those movies that kind of ventures into that like torture porn territory. I think what makes this work for me more than say Saw or Hostel is that like this movie isn't afraid to get weird with it. With Saw and Hostel, it's more like hyper-realistic uh people just it stops being fun at a certain point but with hellraisers just like so fucking weird and surreal that uh you can't help but just kind of love just like the creature designs and uh, just conceptually it's so bizarre and uh there's heart to it really like yeah remember the engineer (laughs) yeah i I do i do love that like design where like the monster's head kind of looks like the tree from evil dead 2
3: (laughs) it does it's got those weird eyes
1: (laughs) Yeah, I really like supernatural uh, horror. Like, that's what drew me into it. Again, like, what they were able to do on $900,000 is kind of incredible. Fucking, it stands the test of time, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I I love how, like, that first scene where the guy cuts himself on the nail, it's like a gash, but it's like, they make that blood so pronounced. Every drop is like a bucket like it just really kind of <laughs> hammers home just like what this movie is about to do to you again like what you're saying with the characters like i think it's really interesting how really the villain is uh this woman and uh her husband's brother that she's been fucking they're the ones really perpetrating all the fucked up shit and then that kind of even goes on in the hellbound yeah there's there's a lot to like about it uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, after this ad break whenever youtube fucking gives us our monetization back, back send to us the letter you <laughs> pussies send it do it I'll send you a box in the mail <laughs> <laughs> even a stupid puzzle box which doesn't seem to have any use whatsoever Oh, such science, weirdo, and we're back. Uh, now we're gonna go into some general discussion. Uh, so we'll open the floor to whatever anybody wants to say about whatever. I was uh, listening to a commentary track with like Clive
3: Barker and uh, Ashley Lawrence and uh, as someone's talking to Clyde Barker about how they saw the opening of this film and was like, I hope the rest of it isn't this intense Jesus and Clyde Barker <laughs> says that he sort of modeled it somewhat, this could be retroactively him just saying this but off of uh, the David Cronenberg film Scanners, how early on mm-hmm. in the film that guy has that famous head explosion that used to be the most popular gif on the internet and uh, Clyde Barker called it taming the audience which is a really funny phrase to describe opening a horror movie with something intense like you're kind of like breaking in a dog or something it's just like oh you you think you're safe in your movie theater seat well somebody's just getting their fucking face put back together by some weird demon fuck you get ready I thought that was just a funny, like, Clive Barkerism. is taming the audience.
1: Yeah. He apparently brought his mother to the premiere, and, like, as soon as his name came up on the screen, uh, his mom's just, like, kind of crying tears of joy, and he just goes, that's the happiest you're going to be for the next two hours.
0: (laughs) You know what? Fuck you, Grandma! Okay, so, uh, part of my box set came with this, uh, DVD called the Clive Barker Legacy, And it's really funny because there's like a whole maybe hour, hour and a half of him just dancing in a dark room naked and the whole thing was he wanted to show his dong to everyone. What? (laughs) What a flex, really. Like, yes, it has history of uh, Hellraiser and stuff on it, but like there's a whole thing of him just dancing naked. Dude, all I got
3: was the Leviathan documentary. I didn't know there was there was a midnight meat train straight from Barker himself. Fucking dancing around like Willem Defoe in the 70s.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was in the, I believe, 80s. Most of the, like, trivia stuff uh, I got for this one is mostly from having just rewatched the um, last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs episode on Hellraiser. I got some concept yeah. art. Pinhead with tits.
3: Those are Barker drawings, right?
0: I believe so, yeah, because this whole thing is supposed to be like a dedication to Barker. This book has, like, a ton of art that he drew and
3: uh finalized so you got you guys know the jesus wept line at the end right
1: oh I, yeah yeah
3: i, th- yep. I, I think everybody yep. likes jesus wept it's good yeah. oh yeah so originally in the screenplay that line apparently was just fuck you fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> yep, <yeah. laughs> the flattest just the most like filler ass insert way they could have done that and um andrew robinson was like he he loves that line jesus wept just because he's a weird dude who played the scorpio killer in dirty harry he's full of weird <laughs> ideas so the jesus yeah. wept came from him
1: yeah, yeah he he improvised that and he also improvised the line uh, enough of this cat and mouse shit so he, he's he's just like uh all right i'm gonna make this a movie <laughs> I feel like this whole franchise is based around one-liners. That's how you make a memorable horror movie. I mean, that's that's oh, yeah. that's what I love about the Evil Dead movies. You got, it's filled with
3: one-liners. Yep. I was uh, hearing stories about how comically low this film's budget was. One of the notes was that, you know that shot of the cube on the table in the bazaar? Uh, apparently, that shot was about as zoomed out as it could get, about as widely framed as possible before you would start seeing just Blank walls and like set bullshit. And if you go back and look at the shot, it's kind of close in. The set was apparently like the size of a bathroom, uh, just just too fucking small. And another one was when uh, Kirsty throws the cube through the window of the upstairs like room. They only had one shot at that. They could, the production could not afford to replace the window. <laughs> but I think the actress played third base when she was like younger. Like she was, I think a baseballer. And so she was able to get the shot done right. The joys of making a movie on 900 grand.
0: Clyde Barker be like, get me that baseball player now.
3: (laughs) The dragon at the end of the movie, right? Totally out of left field.
2: Yeah, that—that's something I wanted to bring up. Is like that—that—that that, that feels like it's from a completely different fucking movie. That dragon at the end.
3: There's a homeless vagrant who is stalking Kirsty throughout the movie and eating crickets in her pet shop. And at the end of the movie, when she's trying to burn and dispose of the lament configuration, he walks in, sets himself on fire, and then he turns into a fucking dragon and flies away.
2: <laughs> that, that feels like something more out of The Evil Dead than Hellraiser, which. Uh, it's not for this movie, it was for uh, a different one, but fun fact, speaking of Evil Dead and Sam Raimi, man, oh man, he really wanted Hellraiser music for (laughs) Spider-Man 2. Are are you aware of this? What, did he get
3: the band Coil to do the music for Spider-Man (laughs) 2?
2: So, for uh, Spider-Man 2, he wanted uh, Danny Elfman to compose, like, music that sounded like this bit of music from Hellraiser 2, and I guess this led to, like, a brief falling out between him and Danny Elfman for a bit because he basically just screamed I'm not Christopher Young why don't you go fucking get Christopher Young and then he did and they they basically like did a re-recording of whatever the hell they did for uh, Hellraiser 2 but I guess even Christopher Young was just kind of like yeah I'm not getting what Sam Raimi wants here it's very interesting. Speaking about that
3: that dragon I wanted to bring up so I think Clive Barker and them were just like on set, like they got the whole like flame thing already figured out. It's basically just them tossing in the box. And he's like, "Wouldn't a dragon be cool?" And the VFX guys were just like, "A oh, fuck, what?" And, um, <laughs> so somebody rushed to a store, and he was. They, uh, I think the instruction was basically just get the weirdest skull you can find. Just go find a weird skull. And so he found the skull of a tapir, that fucking animal, the tapir, and grabbed three horns and just jammed a bunch of horns on a tapir skull. And that's like the majority of. Uh, how the dragon started out was just finding a weird skull
1: yeah like apparently the whole like it kind of ends abruptly just cuz like they ran out of money and like they they had more stuff that they wanted to do like they were gonna like have a shot where the house is on fire but like they didn't have money for that so they just like grabbed stock footage or whatever it's funny because they don't even
3: cut to like a burning house stock footage it basically (laughs) uh it shows i think something inside the attic room burning up and then it cuts to just the house is gone there's a little bit of flaming rubble in a field I showed this to someone for the first time last night and they were like, what the fuck just happened?
0: Guess the house is gone. (laughs) So the franchise took a weird turn, I guess when Miramax picked it up because the final movie, that's not the reboot they just released, did this weird concept. I'm going to probably butcher the name because I'm on Wikipedia. There's this group of other, I guess, demons and they're called the Stegian Inquisitation. But like, Pinhead goes to them and he's just like, the puzzle box just isn't doing it nowadays. No one's opening it because of technology. They're all on their phones. (laughs) So now they're trying to, like, get people to come into this weird abandoned house so they can torture them. And I guess an angel from heaven didn't like this and came down and was trying to stop them. So Pinhead kills her. And then God intervenes and goes, no, none of that, and turns him into a homeless man. And that's how the movie ends. What the fuck? (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> like I, I, I feel bad own? for the actor because the actor really wanted the pinhead role. Like he was, he was dedicated to this role, and they just like fucked him over because they needed to get a um, movie to keep the copyrights
3: going. Yeah, because the new Hellraiser—that's not Doug Bradley, right? That's some new guy. No, not not Hulu <laughs> Razor. I'm sorry, uh-huh. Judgment. Yeah, the the Hulu Razor—it's Jamie Clayton of Sense Eight fame. Yeah. But that, that that would suck so bad. It's like, you've been chosen to be the next Pinhead. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, Pinhead is gone. Homeless man now. Homeless head. Oh, the MPAA had some funny cuts. I always assumed there was an unrated version of Hellraiser out there, but I don't think there is anymore. I don't think like I think that shit's just lost. Uh, But they they obviously had to cut some of like the violent bits. But the one everybody always brings up is the spanking. Because one thing that's funny (laughs) about this movie is just sort of they go from like Frank and Julie are just having sex, and then immediately Frank gets up and he's like, it's never enough, and you barely even see like anything they're doing. Like they're not really doing anything freaky, and suddenly he's like, I can't get enough of this fucking. And uh, so apparently before the MPAA got its hands on Hellraiser, there were like there was some spanking. You know, some spanking. And they had like a mitigated number of spanks that were allowed. Otherwise, you get an X rating. It was something like two (laughs) spanks. We're, we're the MPAA's limit.
1: MPAA is always weird about stuff like that, uh, where like they're they're always trying to find like the weird specific things. Like there's some movie uh, they mentioned on um, the documentary. This film is not rated. Where uh, they were like trying to find a reason to give this one sex scene in NC-17, and uh, they're like, why? is like, uh, uh you you see pubes for like two seconds. There's pubes. X rating. <laughs>
3: I, want, I wish there was MPAA court, because then you could just send in your, your movie rating lawyer, and he'd be like, excuse me, in the film Broken Flowers with Bill Murray, you see pubes for 30 seconds. Now now plead your case, fascists. I hate those people.
0: Yeah. I still don't know who decides to censor anime. Like, It makes me angry, because it's like our generation grew up with anime, but yet sometimes it still gets censored, depending on who picks it up.
1: I think it's usually just like TV networks doing it in Japan because they have like a different standard. Stans, no. Yeah, standards and practices kind of thing. Uh, I feel like we're kind of gearing down. Uh, do we want to just go into final thoughts? Sure. All right, so let's go into final thoughts. Austin, we'll start with you. The box they opened it. I came. Hell yeah, <laughs> Joe. Final <laughs> thoughts.
2: Yeah, no, uh, I'm really glad that I got to revisit it this year and it finally clicked for me. It's definitely got its faults, but I mean, it's a classic for a reason. If you haven't seen it uh, and you think you can handle its content, absolutely go check it out. If you don't think you can handle its content, I don't fucking know. Watch something else instead. (laughs) Fair enough.
0: Axel, uh, final thoughts. Some may say stop at two. Some will
1: also say stop at four. I say
0: stop at two, read the comic books,
1: <laughs> then the reboot. All right. So yeah, my final thoughts. I enjoy the movie quite a bit. I enjoy Hellbound a little more, but like I think that this is a really good introductory movie to the concept, and I'm glad that um, this new Hellraiser is decent uh we'll, we'll actually be talking a bit more about that on a bonus cast but uh yeah this has been our episode on hellraiser uh thank you for tuning in axel thanks for coming on to the show yeah thanks for having me feel free to uh plug your stuff check out my meme page yami merrick obey the ride. that's about it all right <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's uh, going to do it for us. Before I kind of sign out, though, I, I do want to do, like, a quick plug of my own, actually. Ooh. So uh, there's a uh, local film that just got finished and released, The Man in Room 6. woo it was directed by Trevor Younger, who is a professor at Webster uh, and a lot of people who have gone to our school and who work in our community worked on this movie. It's the first feature film that I got to work on. Um, it stars a local St. Louis Scream Queen, Jackie Kelly. Uh, it's got Debbie Roshan of Trauma fame and uh, Bill Oberst Jr. as the titular Man in Room 6. It's a really, like, interesting surreal movie. I would recommend checking it out if you can. Uh, it's supposed to hit streaming soon, I believe, Tubi TV and uh, Prime, so you can you can check it out then. Uh, you can also go to themaninroom6.com and pick up the Blu-ray. I actually made a documentary for the Blu-ray, so you can check that out too. But, yeah, that's gonna do it for our episode today. Thank you for tuning in. If you are listening on any of the audio platforms give us a review give us a thumbs up and say movie good I don't know. And if uh, you are watching on YouTube, thank you for watching our show the way it was intended to be seen. Go into the comments section below and let us know. What do you think of Hellraiser? What do you think of Clive Barker's works? What do you think of S&M Gear? Let us know. While you're down there, hit the like button if you like the video. Hit the subscribe button if you want to see more. And hit the bell icon so you can get notifications when we upload stuff. Check out the uncensored fucking version on Spotify Video. Uh Fuck which yeah. we unfortunately cannot monetize. So then go to our Patreon. Donate to our Patreon. Please, pretty please, with cherry on top. We need money. Go go, donate to our Patreon. I activate the Patreon card. It means <laughs> you must donate. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it for us. Uh, again, thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week for our spooky season finale, where evil dies tonight. That's right. We're talking about Halloween ends hosted by Tanner, and we'll see you then. But until then, remember, no tears. It's a waste of good
2: suffering. Farewell. Evil dies next week. Got her mother's looks. My mother's dead. Just slid my ticket across the table and I said, sorry guys, I gotta see about a girl.